All right. Well, hey, guys, we've actually been in a sermon series in the book of First John. And the first book of First John, um, as we've been exploring week after week, is really a book that was written by someone who was an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. So if you, you can imagine someone who actually saw Jesus, met him, saw him resurrected, and he writes to the early church about what is this Christian thing all about. And he's been using these themes that we've been exploring week after week, and you'll probably be familiar with some of these themes. Uh, light versus darkness, we've been talking about how he says what it means to be someone who's a follower of Jesus, someone who walks in the light. There's also been themes of openness versus hiding, that we as a people, because of God's grace, we can be people who are open and transparent instead of hiding. Uh, we're people who are abiding versus strong driving, that uh, kind of this idea of also being children versus orphans, this idea that when we're found in God's love, we're basically awash in his love. Uh, there's also this idea of, of love versus hate, and that's what we were exploring last week. And so with all of these themes, basically what John is doing is he's inviting people to, to examine for themselves, what does it mean to follow this Jesus person? Because Jesus was this marginalized carpenter who somehow was flipping the world upside down, even though it was a small minority sect that was starting to grow and to expand. And so John is basically writing, what is this following Jesus way all about? Now we come to 1 John chapter 4 and check out what it says. It says, dear friends, do not believe the word, the Greek word there is the word pistuo. Can I hear you say pistuo? That's right. It says, do not believe or to have faith in or to trust. He says, do not believe every spirit, but test. Can I hear you say test? Yes. Yeah, that's right. The word test is the Greek word dokimatsu. Can I hear you say dokimatsu? That's right. We get words like okie-dokie from... Do- <laughs> kidding. No, we, we don't. But uh, dokimatsu, to test, to see whether something is credible to see whether something actually stands firm and is pure and is genuine. Dokimatsu, the spirits, to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, what John is basically doing is he's basically talking, you know, he's used these themes of light versus darkness. And one of the things that we said is, whether you're a Christian here or not, we all kind of have this disposition of what we believe is right or what's wrong, good and evil. And here's what John is basically saying, is this Christian faith is not something where we're simply awash in some sort of myth or some sort of premonitions that we have and that's what we just follow or we believe this just because our parents believe this or we came from a region of the country or from the world that believes this. But instead, what he does is he invites us that to pistuo, to believe in something, I first want you to dokimatsu it. I want you to test it. I want you to see whether it's true or not, whether it's sturdy compared to your life experience, compared to what you experience of the world around you. It's basically an invitation to doubt, to critique, to wonder, because faith becomes sturdy when we begin to dokimatsu it. And see, now here's the thing. Uh, some of you might be thinking, okay, well, this Christian faith thing, I don't know. Uh, it's been a while since I've been in a religious setting. And that's great. I'm so glad you're here. Because here's one of the topics that a lot of religious communities might talk about. But here's what I'd like to contend. This idea of absolute truth, that there is a truth that goes beyond, that transcends people, that transcends time, that transcends nations. There is an absolute truth. Now, here's the thing. Some of you might say, well, I believe that all truth is relative. Well, here's the thing. If you could actually look back over the past few uh, kind of months and the past couple of years, the most strident time in our nation's history, as well as around the world, this polarizing time, aren't there 
uh, isn't, hasn't there been a sense in you, whether you're from one political disposition or the other, where you're like, how in the world does that person believe that to be true? Now, one of the things that's come to mind has been this idea of conspiracy theories or false truth. And where people start to peddle false truth, many people start to get enraged and they say, wait a minute, that's not true. You can't start a narrative when that's not true. Now, wherever you are on the political spectrum, here's what I'd like to contend uh, and submit to you today that I believe is probably true for you, is that whenever that inkling comes for you where you say, that's not true, we saw the pictures of the inauguration. That's not True, you know, like whatever it is, whatever sense in you that, that has that sense of like, that's not true. I, here's what I'd like to submit to you, is this idea of absolute truth, this belief that, wait a minute, if we could all come to the same playing field, there is some sort of standard for what is true and what is not, what is false and what is true. And, and that's what absolute truth is. Now, here's what Christians believe. Christians believe that there is an absolute truth. And this is an absolute truth. And this is the kind of truth that actually John is basically asking us to contend for. But he uses words like pistuo of faith and the reason or belief. And why does he use words like that? Because while we believe there is absolute truth that transcends time, geography, uh, and people, we also believe that people don't necessarily possess absolute knowledge. Now, this is what pistuo means, that every single one of us are finite human beings. And of course, none of us have absolute knowledge. And so that's why even in the early church, for instance, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, he talks about how we know in part. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 29 where it talks about how the secret things belong to God. Why do they belong to God? Because God is God and we are not. As limited human beings, we don't have absolute knowledge. So how does this work then? If we don't have absolute knowledge, but we believe there's absolute truth, you see what John is basically saying is you need to dokimatsu to get to pistuo. You need to, to doubt and question and critique to get to what is true. Now this is a lifelong journey of pistuo, of faith. And, and so N.T. Wright, who's a biblical scholar, one of the, the, the phrases that he uses is this phrase of critical realism. Can I hear you say critical realism? That's right. Here's what critical realism is. Critical realism is this idea that we constantly critique ourselves. We constantly critique the world, hopefully not in a harsh way, but we constantly are critiquing to get at what is real because we believe there is absolute truth, but we don't have absolute knowledge. Now, this is what John is basically saying. John is inviting us. Hey, doki matso, what is true and what is not? Now, here's the thing. For many of you, you might be wondering, okay, well, how do we know what is true then? How do we get at that? Well, here's what Christians believe. You see, and here's what John is introducing. Again, because these are early Christians, and he's introducing all these themes of light versus darkness, and he's introducing this theme of how do we know what's true? Well, this is what he writes. He says, dear friends, do not believe. Again, there's that word pistuo. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, here it is. He says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. 
is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, I know that word Antichrist, some of us, we might have this kind of this recoil because that sounds so religious. Well, it simply means anti means against. Christ is basically, Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah that we believe in. And so basically when he says Antichrist, anything against Jesus, he says this is the spirit of the anything against Jesus, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Now here's what John is basically saying. If you want to know what is true, if you want to know where we as Christians believe what is true and what is not, it's found in Jesus. That Jesus is the one that we look to. And if we can cut through everything else that might get in the way of Jesus, then we might have a fighting chance. And if you can get over all those things, the dross that some, somehow continues to cloud us from seeing Jesus and Jesus alone. And you see, this is what basically John is saying. He's saying, I want you to doki matzo. I want you to test this. And really what I want you to test is this Jesus person. If you can come to the person of Jesus. Yeah, maybe you've had some experiences at church that have been so hurtful. If you can just get to the Jesus person. This is not to excuse churches. If, if you can forget about like clergy people and how we make mistakes so often. If you could just get past all of that, if you could get to this Jesus person. Now, here's what Jesus himself would say. And this is why it's so dynamic, right? Because the Gospel of John would tell us, this is what Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, can you imagine any human being saying something like that? Hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I tried that once with my wife. No, I'm just kidding, I didn't. <laughs> but you and I know, intuitively, that's a bad idea. But... Jesus says this, he says this with great confidence, and then he drops a proverbial mic, right? Like he basically is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He himself then begins to claim, without a hint of arrogance, but with, with all sorts of confidence, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is what Jesus himself would say about himself. Now, can you imagine the gumption that that takes? And yet, Jesus would say that, and it would end up changing the world. Now, again, here's the thing. With so many New Yorkers that I talk to, there's so many ways in which this following Jesus thing becomes so difficult to believe or to entrust my life in. In fact, I just listed a few things that I've heard over the recent past about what makes faith in Jesus so hard. You might be someone who's actually said one of these things, or maybe you're thinking this today. You might be someone, in fact, who someone you know has said one of these things or is thinking these things today. And you might agree that these are, you should just do what makes you happy. The narrative of happiness is my God. That's one reason why I don't necessarily want to follow this Jesus person, or I don't really want to know it. Moral truth is relative unless you hurt someone. Maybe that's something that's kept you from believing because you, you think that Christians are believing this absolute truth thing, but I think it's all relative. I can't believe in a God who would allow evil and suffering to exist the way it does. Christians are so bigoted and judgmental. I can never call myself a Christian. I've heard that so often over the recent past. And maybe you have in this polarized political climate. The Bible is so archaic and barbaric. 
It's ridiculous to base myself on a book or base my faith on a book like that. There's so many other religions and philosophies out there that work for people. They're virtually all the same. Now, these were just off the top of my head. I was thinking, what are some phrases that I've often heard that often prevent New Yorkers from making the step of saying, yes, I do want to believe in this Jesus person. And these, basically these words are often what I hear. Now, if we can cut through at the end of the day, whether you have these questions or you don't. Now, here's the thing. I've myself had these same questions. And here's what Christianity would like to introduce you to. Not to basically try to give you an explanation for all of these things. Although there might be some philosophical arguments to give and some ways that we can talk about it and explore some of these themes. The problem of evil and suffering. If we can just get past some of these questions and really just come to the heart of what the Christian faith has always been about, which is the claims of Jesus, who says, no matter where you've been, no matter what intellectual difficulties that you might have, can you just come and examine the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can we just cut through all of the other stuff the philosophical questions, the wonderings that you and I might carry. Now, this isn't asking you or me to somehow place our brains at the door, but instead, it's asking us before anything else, because you might have these same questions, and at the same time, we still have to wrestle with, is this Jesus person truly who he says he was? Because Jesus is someone who actually existed and made these claims himself. Now, C.S. Lewis, he writes this in the book, Mere Christianity. He writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. This is what people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept the claim to be God. Now, Lewis is basically going to write, we can't, we can't say that because Jesus himself didn't say that. Instead, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He can't simply be a great moral teacher, just a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. Gotta love that British humor. Uh, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something else. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. Now here's what Lewis is basically saying. See, again, wherever you are in the spectrum, it may be one of those doubts or one of the things that you have or one of the things that's caused you to question this Christian faith thing. But if we can cut through all of that and take and wrestle with, is this Jesus person? Can you doki matso this Jesus person? Is this Jesus person truly the man that he says he is? Now, the early church knew this. They knew that faith rose and fell based on whether Jesus truly is who he says he is. 
And so, for instance, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he writes to the church in Corinth. Check out what he writes about whether or not the resurrection is real. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, if this Jesus person is not real, your faith is useless. What are you doing here? What are we all doing here? And he's someone, keep in mind that Paul was someone who also had this eyewitness encounter of Jesus and ended up being willing to die for Jesus. And here's what he's basically saying. If Jesus was not real, this would all be a farce. Uh, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, in fact, if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, here's what he's saying. If Jesus did not resurrect from the grave, then Christ has not been raised either. Now look at what he says about his own faith. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile you are still in your sins. You see, the early Christians knew this. They knew that everything rose and fell, not necessarily on the institution of the church, not necessarily on kind of the traditions that we carry. It all rose and fell on the person of Jesus. And whether the person that Jesus said he is is truly who he is. Andy Stanley, he has this phrase, and I love this. This is what he says. If a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm just going to believe whatever that man says. Because that's what it's really all about. Because Jesus was someone, in fact, who would actually claim his own death and resurrection and then pull it off. And so, like, what Stanley says is, like, listen, I, listen, all the questions you have, Noah's Ark, yeah, Jonah, the whale, like, listen, all these questions. I just know that if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just believe whatever that guy says. And that's really what the Christian faith is about. If we can cut through all the other stuff and get to the person of Jesus, and this is what John is basically saying when he's saying, you see, if you can dokimatsu, if you can discern for yourself whether or not this Jesus person is who he truly is, and with as much critical realism, we can come and we can pistuo him. We can start to believe in him and see whether he truly is who he says he is. And this is the invitation. But here's the thing, right? Because at the end of the day, you and I know that truth doesn't necessarily change us. It might be something that we can assent to. For instance, we can go into the grocery store and we intuitively know what's healthy for us and what's not. And yet truth itself does not change us, does it? It actually takes something more. Because I could know all sorts of things and mentally assent to something, but you and I know that it's not simply the weight of truth that changes us. Now, in some cases, it does when something is so true that the weight of truth ends up changing us. But you see, the scriptural witness about this Jesus would always couple truth with something else. It'd be love. Truth and love, or love and truth. That these things always went together. They were two sides of the same coin. That love or grace, that truth and love, love and truth, grace and truth, truth and grace, these things go together. Why? It's because one of the things that we believe, this explosive message about who Jesus is, is not only should you believe in him because he's true, but will you believe in him because he is love? 
you know, when I was dating my wife, Tina, we had actually known each other for a couple of years. And so I finally had mustered up enough courage to ask her out after we had been friends. And so, but one of the things that uh, I remember as I was, you know, early on in our dating relationship, I basically, we sat down together and I, and I said to her, I said, hey, listen, I just want you to know, like, I am deeply committed to New York City. Deeply, like, I, um, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to waste anyone's time. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. Like, I'm deeply committed to New York. If, if you're not committed to New York as well, then, then I don't know if we're going to make it, you know? Uh, don't ever say that. But uh, anyhow, I was like, I was, I was that clear. And so Tina was like, all right, okay, all right. Got, got it. Well, let's see. And so anyhow, so a couple of months passed in our dating relationship, again, after we had, had started. And I had become absolutely smitten. And so I knew, I mean, very early on, and again, we had been friends, but early on in the relationship, I'm like, I am all in. I am, you know, and I wouldn't say that, but of course we were enjoying the early kind of months of us dating. And so um, as I was so smitten by her, uh, I realized she was not so smitten with me by then. <laughs> and so there came this moment where she actually said to me, she goes, hey, Drew, listen, um, one of the things that, um, I, like, has always been a dream of mine. And she actually was born and raised in Houston, Texas. She goes, I, I just, you know, one of the, the dreams of mine was to, at some point in my life, to live in Austin, Texas. <laughs> and I was like, what is with Texans in Austin? Like, every Texan I meet talks about how, how how Austin is like Mecca or something and like and so anyhow she goes I just want to I want to live I want to live in Austin Texas so I'm thinking of going to graduate school there and she goes but listen I know you're you're committed to New York and like I you know I might just I might be moving to Austin Texas and I remember saying to I'm hearing that and like my heart dropped but then I said to her you know Tina I would move to Austin, Texas for you. <laughs> if that's what it takes, move to Austin, Texas. And she was a little bit stunned because she had heard from me like how confident I was. Like, hey, it's New York or nothing. Like, it's going to work. It's either New York or it's not going to work. And she's just like, all right, well, okay, well, let's talk about that. And why, 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 would, why would I move to Austin, Texas? <laughs> because I had been smitten. Smitten enough to move to Austin, Texas. Smitten enough to change the direction and the trajectory of my own life. Smitten enough because I knew that something had captured me, something that goes beyond truth claims and doctrine and philosophical belief. I've been captured by love. And you see, the story of Jesus, it's not simply about these truth claims. 
It's about a story of love where the invitation is for you to be smitten too. You see, this is why John, throughout this letter, he would write things like this. He would talk about how this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And time and time again, John would invite people to not only dokimatsu, to test and discern, to believe, but he'd be inviting people to be smitten, to be caught up in a story, caught up in a love. that would compel you and I to change our lives forever. To be willing to move to Austin, Texas. To be willing to say, here is my life. Here's where I lay it down. This is where I surrender for you. Now here's what I want to invite you to today. Wherever you wandered in from and whatever your story has been with faith and with God and with church and maybe even the recent past and you have wrestled through so much and here's my first invitation to you. Can Can we just cut through all of the dross? And I want to invite you to the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That if we can move beyond some of the hurt and the pain that perhaps you've experienced over this past season, maybe at the hands of the church or the Christian messaging around this nation, if if I can invite you just to get to this Jesus person who claims he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the invitation to you today is to be romanced by him. To find that perhaps that the God that you've heard about is much different uh, than the one that Jesus reveals himself to be. That this is a God who is not against you, but a God who is for you. A God whose love would become so invincible on your behalf that he would actually lay his own life down to woo you. To invite you to be smitten by him, to be caught up in a new kind of story, a story of God's incredible love for you and for me.